0: Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome back to this next episode of The Mindful Dietitian. It's wonderful to have you here. It's with the greatest pleasure that I share with you this fantastic conversation with US-based dietitian Whitney Trotter, one very extraordinary human being. Although Whitney is pretty new on the social media scene, hitting the ground running in 2020, she's a dietitian with 10 years experience, as well as being a nurse and a yoga teacher. Whitney's been serving in the HIV AIDS community throughout these 10 years, as well as working in the eating disorder field. Whitney also previously worked at a level one paediatric trauma centre as a paediatric emergency room nurse. In addition to working as an RDN and RN, Whitney served as a member of her county's Rape Crisis Centre as a member of their Sexual Assault Response Team. Her work at the Rape Crisis Centre equipped her to co-found an anti-trafficking organisation, Restore Corps, where she now provides medical training to the community focusing on a human trafficking response. Whitney is the founder and owner of Bluff City Health, a practice dedicated to embodiment, social justice, and eating disorders. So we kicked off this conversation with Whitney's goals for 2021, which she wrote and shared on Instagram last October, and some of which are well underway. So these included starting a community group for BIPOC healthcare care providers so that clients can find practitioners and find good matches. One of Whitney's other goals was to write a course on anti-trafficking and get that out into the healthcare community. Well, she has ticked that one off the list and it's available now via her website, www.whitneytrotter.com. All of this, all of these are in the notes. We then move on and talk about trauma-informed care and discuss why this is a critical aspect of human-centred, compassionate care for all clients, not just those who name their experiences as trauma. Look, we could have talked about that absolutely forever. So so we really did exercise some restraint on that one. I'm very proud of us, Whitney. But if you'd like to find out more about trauma-informed care, check out the WIND event that Whitney is doing in March 2021, again In the show notes or the five part live online series that I'm doing with Tracy Brown with all details available via the Mindful Dietitian website. Whitney and I then moved on to the very important topic of grief. So how it shows up and more importantly, how we can provide space for people's experiences without going into our typical quote unquote dietitian fixing mode. This was such a great conversation. I absolutely loved it, and I hope you really enjoy it too. I promise I will have Whitney back again so you can enjoy more of her wisdom. Learn more about Whitney's work at www.whitneytrotter.com and via Instagram at whitneytrotter.rd. And, of course, find out more about The Mindful Dietitian, including training, supervision, and our most excellent Facebook group at www themindfuldietitian.com.au. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you really enjoy this episode and big thanks to Whitney Trotter for being here with me. Hello, Whitney, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. It is such a pleasure to meet you. Yes, likewise. I'm so excited. So excited. We have got quite a few conversation topics to pop on the table. So why don't we just launch straight in? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, many people listening will already be familiar with you and your work. You have um, more recently joined social media as you were sharing with me. So you were saying that you historically don't necessarily, you haven't necessarily enjoyed a a great relationship with social media. So what what was the change there?
1: Yeah, so it's so ironic when I, so part of my story is when I had transitioned to private practice, I was very fortunate to kind of have clients already come with me. And then I ended up just creating a psychology today profile. So I had no idea that dietitians weren't quote unquote supposed to be on psychology today. So I had already kind of started building my practice word of mouth in the community in psychology today. And honestly, I just hate technology. I'm not good at it. I don't like it. It's not my thing. Um, But I was really just convinced to start a business Instagram account. Um, and so I did, and it was also coupled with, so I, I started it in June. And ironically, um, I was struggling finding supervision for just some brilliant tips cases. And I got connected to Jessica Wilson, who I, I think I got connected. I started June, the first week of June, I got on Instagram and got connected with her. Um, and of course, as we know, Amplified Melanated Voices blew up and, um, Instagram just took a life of its own, you know, so good, give us good timing, you know, good, good timing, um, uh, to be on Instagram. So,
0: yeah, amazing timing. So you, you, you have, I, I noticed that you had switched from Bluff City RD and yes. now to Whitney Trotter RD, is that correct?
1: Yes. 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 So I, my, I started my private practice bluff city health, and I never wanted to have my private practice as my name, which is like, we see that a lot as dietitians when they're starting. It's like, what do I do? Well, I didn't want to be the face of my private practice because I wanted other RDs and then being a nurse and a yoga instructor, I wanted it to, to be a community resource. Um, but then as I, people were like, wait, you're a dietitian, you do human trafficking, you do anti-racism work. And um, and so I eventually had to get a website and uh, website. And so my website and brand manager really convinced me. And she said, people really want to know your name. They want to see your face and who you are. And so I was like, okay, you know, so that's kind of
0: how, how the switch evolved. It's so interesting, isn't it? When, you know, uh, when how our values or the way that we want to show up in the world, for example, as a, as a, a mixed practice, maybe with different yes. modalities available to people. And then, you know, the marketing and branding people come along and they're like, Hey, Whitney, people want to see you. They want to know your <laughs> name. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> yes. So
1: like, Oh gosh. Uh, so yeah. And it was so funny because another dietitian was like, she was like, I didn't even know your real name. Cause my, I have a private Facebook, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a business Facebook. And then my Instagram was Bluff City Health. So my Facebook was something different. My Instagram was something different. My practice was something different. So I was like, okay, we got to get some, you know, a little bit
0: of cohesiveness. So. Yeah, absolutely. And from a business perspective, that totally makes sense. And sometimes it just takes us a while to kind of get on board with all that stuff to make things kind of mesh a little bit together.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. All right. So you are one very, very busy human. You juggle quite a number of roles, parent, partner, business owner, activist, advocate, speaker, and I could just go on, right? You are also a dietitian. you're a nurse, you're a yoga instructor, and we're going to be going on to... Um, into some of those roles and and especially your um, anti-trafficking organization which you co-founded but where I'd love to start with you Whitney is last October you set some pretty amazing goals for 2021 so I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing some of those with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in
1: October, I, um, another colleague had kind of set some goals and I've never been somebody to do like a lot of like, uh, new year's resolutions and just everything that 2020 was, it was just, it was hard on so many levels, you know, personal loss and grief evolving entrepreneurial. And so I really just, I, Professionally, it was a great year, but I wanted to be really specific in some goals and kind of dreams that I had. Um, So yeah, so I wanted to write or create a gender-affirming BIPOC-centered eating disorder facility, um, write a book, um, and then work with the FBI as a psych nurse practitioner on their their cross-country trafficking operations. Um, and then create a course for RDs on recognizing and responding to human trafficking, uh, defund the police and reallocate funds to pay for social workers, therapists, and other clinicians to respond to calls, uh, crisis calls, um, and then create a body image course uh, for trafficking survivors. So. Wow. 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 So, yeah. A lot, a lot of different, a lot of different goals, but mm-hmm. you know, big dreams big
0: dreams oh yeah absolutely and so that was October it is as we're recording now it's February so how are you like when you go back and you read those goals what kind of what shows up in in your body or you know when you kind of read those read those goals back and thinking about you know, the, 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 not only the year that was, but the year in front of us. And what can you see as, uh, which of those goals can you see? Yep. That is absolutely within my grasp.
1: Yeah. You know, when I think about, and I love that question of where it resonates in the, in my body is it's excitement. It's in my, it's in my heart of like the hope, you know, because I think I, I was intentional with these goals of community awareness and involvement. Because I don't believe that any one person, like we can't do this work alone. It becomes just, it's too overwhelming for our system. Um, So when I think about it, we ironically um I want to say January started a BIPOC eating disorder collective. And it was so beautiful because therapists and clinicians, I mean, from all over were sending in their information and we kind of created a, a Google database for people to be able to go and and find a clinician. And um and that was really amazing, really, really amazing. And so I had an amazing intern that um worked with me on that. Um write a book is probably going to be two or three years down the line, nothing, <laughs> nothing too soon. Um, and the, the course, so I'll talk about the FBI and then a course. So what a lot of people don't know is I actually got the the privilege to um, work with the FBI years ago on their cross country operations. And I'll never forget. I walked in and there was a black woman who's special agent in charge and was running the command center, the FBI command center in Tennessee. And I was like a little girl. I mean, I was starstruck. Like, I just was like, oh my gosh. And so I remember asking her, I was like, well, I just want to be you when I grow up, when I grow up. And, um, she's, she's amazing. And, um, I've, I've stayed in close contact with her and, um, It was just a really beautiful mentorship and and everything for me and so that really is what led me to go back to school um, to want to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner so I'm working on my doctorate now and in hopes to in a few years, be able to do some contract work, Um, but that leads me to the course so. I did um, do a training, a webinar for dietitians, therapists, and other providers last Thursday um, that's now available on my link tree and my teachable on really kind of how to recognize and respond to potential trafficking victims. So I'm, I'm really, really proud about that. And um, I think it turned out great. I got some really good feedback. Um, so it was really, it was really
0: awesome and, and really a privilege to do. That is amazing. I really would love to talk to you more about your anti-trafficking work, if that feels okay. I want to loop. I don't want to forget your other goals, if you wanted to mention those. Um, but we'll also put a link back to that in the show notes, so that people can find that webinar and any other of the other work that you're doing as well. Oh, thank you. That would be awesome. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, any of the other goals that that um, stand out for the year? I think that's it. I, I, um,
1: yeah. Oh, the body image, the body body image. image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I definitely want to. So, um, as you know, you and Marcy are just legendary in the world of body image. And I think when I, when I see younger dietitians kind of get into the into the field of eating disorders, I think the fear of trauma and body image comes up a lot. And those are the two things that we I really hope that we can integrate, um, you know, for our colleagues and, and how they correspond together. But I love doing body image work with somebody that has complex trauma. And so I want to be able to kind of give the knowledge and awareness that I've had throughout the years back to those in our profession of that you shouldn't be afraid of it. And it is in our scope. It is in our scope to do this. And honestly, I think we're the best. I think we dietitians are uh, have such a unique gift and ability to walk through somebody, walk with somebody as they're healing their relationship with
0: their body. Yeah. I love that and I really appreciate you saying and affirming that dietitians are in a really amazing position to be able to speak about body image with their with with our clients and within our communities. Yeah. I think it's um it it is very much top of mind for dietitians thinking is this in my scope of practice and you know um and I wonder if you know that's I wonder if that's not even the question to be asking is if it's in my scope of practice, but, but maybe the question is, you know, how can we build skillfulness and insight um, and develop a support system around me, perhaps in the form of training and supervision that where I can feel competent and confident in being able to meet, uh, meet the experience of another person? Because I think that's where we kind of get a bit unstuck. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I love that. And I am a big proponent
1: um, of supervision, like, in supervision for multiple practitioners, I think is key. Um, and people with just different life experiences, but absolutely. And I think there's a vulnerability that happens in, it's in supervision, where you as a clinician get to really let your guard down. Um, and it's Great for case consultation, but you really get to kind of have a peek, especially if you're working with a, a supervisor that shares a different identity than you, you get to have a peek into somebody else's experience and existence. And then you can take that and
0: it it just creates a beautiful practice for yourself. I love that. And I, I especially love you highlighting, you know, um, working with somebody that has a different lived experience, um, whether or not that has something to do with um, a race, race, religion, culture, um, age, gender identity, you know, all the different ways that we show up as humans. I think, it, you know, you point out something really valuable and that maybe the tendency for us is to look for more similar than maybe more different. I'm not, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we all get kind of stuck and familiar in our own community, yeah. you know, and so yeah. that's one of the things that I've been, um as I'm doing more supervision with colleagues of like, okay, well, how can I also get supervision from people that are outside of my community as well, because I mm-hmm. think it's equally as important.
0: Yes, absolutely, and that's the way that we kind of um, press our edges as well, and you know, expand our, you know, in, through the nervous system lens, we would say, you know, expanding our window of tolerance and understanding more about ourselves, and and mm-hmm. um, and and how we show up in the world, and you know, how important it is for that ongoing learning and growth.
1: Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I'm really hoping it feels okay for us to now move into your, probably your more specialist area, and that is anti-trafficking. You co-founded an organization called Restore Core. And I'm guessing that not a lot of dietitians and healthcare providers really understand about human trafficking. And I'm going to count myself in this too. So I am all ears. So I um, purchased your webinar last week. I have not listened to it. And the main reason is because I wanted to speak with you today before you know, I wanted to kind of come in fresh with a, with an open and clear mind, clear mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Whitney, what do you think are the factors um, that are really most important for dietitians and healthcare providers to understand about human trafficking? Let's give us the, Mm -hmm. the kind of the broad brush version.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so passionate about anti-trafficking work. And I always tell this to dietitians, I, every case that I've ever worked may, with maybe exception of one or two trafficking cases I've done as a dietitian.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: yeah. so I think a lot of people assume my anti-trafficking work is tied to being a, uh, a registered nurse and it and it is, it does go simultaneously. Um, but my direct involvement uh, with survivors, I have done nutritional counseling and uh, worked as a dietitian. So when we think about human trafficking from like the macro level, I I always tell people trafficking is modern day slavery. It's the buying and selling of bodies. And I think the media and its attempt to highlight trafficking is, has really done a disservice because we think of taken and we think of all these extreme rescue operations and does that happen? Absolutely. But when we're talking about our community, there's a lot of trafficking survivors that are in our community that are still going to work, that are still going to school and that are still doing daily activities that are getting missed. Mm -hmm. And I think as dietitians, you know, when we talk about especially my work of working in eating disorders anti racism and anti trafficking i always tell dietitians there's no reason that you shouldn't be screening for potential trafficking victims in wherever you work mm-hmm. and <clears throat> rachel who's the executive director of restore Corps, one of the one of the foundational questions we started really asking and developing is have you ever had to exchange a sex act a sex act for food clothing water or shelter all of those basic needs are in the scope of a dietitian and we should be addressing those independently of human trafficking, you know? Um, and I shared, and you'll see this, not to, not to spoil it because you haven't uh, watched it yet. So I'm so glad you got a ticket. But um, when I was going through, um, we went to New York uh, several years ago and, and got some training from GEMS, uh, which stands for Girls Educating Mentoring Services. And they ended up coming out, Rachel Lloyd wrote a book called Girls Like Us, but was so pivotal for me is in that book, it de- it depicts a 15-year-old trafficking victim and the reason why she stayed. And it was so interesting because she had family dinners. So the pimp would literally have dinners for all of the girls every night. And that's how, that's what she correlated to as home. Mm-hmm. So they would sit around the table. They had a dog. So basic needs were getting met, even though she was being trafficked nightly. Mm -hmm. And so I think we we have a a disconnect of trafficking and that's not every every trafficking survivor story, but I think it's so important for us to really understand um, that it's not a one size all. I mean, it's every gender identity, race, ethnicity, religion. Um, And so, yeah, Um, but it's that reading that book really was transformational in me and my education for other
0: providers on recognizing human trafficking. Yeah. Thank you so much, Winnie. That is extremely valuable to get a kind of like a, a broad snapshot of a screening question, even like a, a core screening question that when you said that, I was like, Oh, that would be not hard to integrate into an assessment at all. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And
1: I have it, I have it as a standard question. I have it knock on wood, haven't got any, any pushback, um, even my adolescent, uh, cause I, I, some people have asked, well, what about adolescents? I work in pediatrics and I'm a pediatric, I was a, trained as a pediatric ER nurse. Um, but the average age of entry into uh, trafficking is 12 to 14 years old. So it's definitely applicable, um, to have that screening question on there, even for, even for pediatrics and adolescents
0: yeah absolutely now one question i wanted to ask you um and i'm just going to put myself out there saying i've got i've actually literally got no idea about this question i'm just about to ask you but when you said when when you stated the screening question have you ever had to exchange a sex act for food shelter um what else did you say Uh, food clothing water or shelter food clothing water or shelter. Are there other forms of exchanges that um, people would, uh, that, that would fall under the category of human trafficking?
1: Absolutely. So, so really, so kind of to define human trafficking is it's force, fraud or corrosion. So, and there are really, when we talk about kind of law enforcement and that, it does have to be that that force, the fraud or the corrosion of that has to be implicated for Got human it. trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely. And especially as we think about poverty, yes. um, I'll never forget, I had a, um, when I my daughter was born, I had a terrible time of breastfeeding. And I was, I never thought I would. Here I was a dietitian, a nurse, like, I mean, did not think at all, but I ended up having like pretty significant postpartum depression. And our daughter had, it was, we had a traumatic birth and, but she ended up on having to have formula, specialized formula. And it was $30 a box. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling my husband, I said, we don't humanize trafficking victims enough because as a mom, you would do anything and everything to make sure your child was fed. And that is that again, like that humanity aspect of some people end up being victims of human trafficking because they're literally trying to provide for their family
0: oh yeah absolutely so the um the way that you're speaking and the intersections with the trauma experience really are around choicelessness and and that sense of powerlessness Is is that is that um correct would you say absolutely absolutely so uh, which brings us really beautifully to something to a topic that you and I are extremely passionate about, and that is trauma-informed care. So if it feels okay to you, and of course, we can just have a, an open conversation between the two of us about this. Do you want to um, maybe explain a little bit um, about what trauma-informed care actually um, is and maybe some of the ways in which we can be more thoughtful about trauma-informed care within dietetic and healthcare work? Absolutely.
1: Um, So I like to think of like trauma, and then as one word, and then informed as two. And it's because like the trauma comes in so many different, it's so complex, right? Like acute, complex trauma, internal trauma, and then to be informed is a verb. And so I think it's something that like, we're constantly having to work on and work through to be informed. Mm -hmm. And I think it changes. It changes based on the population you're serving um, your own work that you're doing on your nervous system, which I know you and Tracy are are the experts at that. And I, and I love, I love hearing the dialogue and a lot of our settings that we share. Um, But I think being a trauma informed practitioner is there's a certain vulnerability and and humility that the, clinician or provider needs to go through um, because we all have our own internal response and I think that's the fear sometimes so I would say as like kind of you know when I do the education of you really have to know your own nervous system and you have to be grounded like you have to do the internal work first otherwise it gets very tricky because then you're trying to save everyone that you encounter and that's not trauma-informed care you know, um, I think giving a choice, I'm a big person on on choice. And I think, again, working in eating disorders, sometimes it's hard when sometimes our clients aren't ready. And I think, but there's a power in the choice of that, too. So I think tra- being trauma-informed really is the internal work that the practitioner is doing. It's choice. It's understanding lived experiences and identities outside of your own. Um, and I think it's being intentional too. I think it's, 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 it's the intentionality and the reframing and how you're delivering things as well. Um, when I was working in the ER, I would always tell the person what I'm getting ready to do. Okay. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to look at your skin now, or, Hey, I'm going to place my stethoscope right here. Um, or Hey, my hands are cold, but I'm, I'm going to warm them up and I'm going to touch your back. And I'm, um, I just want to make sure I'm, you know, I'm not seeing any lesions. So I think it's that like, and as dietitians we can do that too you know we can do that too so i don't know if that answers your question fully or not
0: it sure does and i adore that response you know the the way that you kind of weaved together i i love the um the trauma and then the informed and the kind of the the call to um ongoing growth yes you definitely. know and and that ongoing personal work is um that's what i personally love most about being an eating disorder specialist and a nervous system informed dietitian is that um, you know the 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 work and the growth is ongoing, and I think as as dietitians we're often there's often this um, covert message of that we should know everything right up front, and that it's somehow shameful to not know, or that you know growth is something that. Um, you know, as long as you're growing in like the quote unquote right direction or whatever that means, that that is acceptable and messing up is unacceptable, you know, making errors or not knowing is somehow within our profession, it's not seen as valuable. Um, And so what I really love about, um, you know, um, growth, particularly around um, trauma-informed care is there's just so much to explore within ourselves and within Mm -hmm. the relationships that we build with others as well so
1: absolutely absolutely I always say it's it's the power in the reframe because I think as practitioners like you're going to mess up I mean you you're going to say something off the wall like I've had to do a reframe I I had a long-standing client I had to come back and I said something that just it did not come out the way I intended Mm -hmm. and it I mean it it just it, it yeah and so I I had to you know really do a reframe and apologize and um i think again like you said like that humility and the ability to not think that we're perfect or we're never going to make a mistake like you know because we're humans
0: so yeah absolutely you know i think one of the things that i that i think about often is that i wonder whether the kind of the way that we think about trauma informed care almost um it could be helpful to either broaden it or shift it slightly. Um, the reason I say that is because I think a lot of dietitians, given that, you know, traditionally it's not part of our um, our foundational training, you know, we don't really speak about it a lot in spaces um, you know, um, of course, in eating disorders, we, we speak about it or in complex mental health spaces, we speak about it because that is where, um, you know, folks who have and continue to experience trauma might show up for us. But I think a lot of dietitians think, oh, well, you know, I, either I don't work with people who have experienced trauma, which is just the biggest bunch of crap in the world, right? Right. 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 Yeah. Or Or that the way that we think about trauma is kind of limited to DSM-5 definitions, which is so limiting yes you know whereas what I love about our conversation is that we're you know at least a couple of times already we've talked about the nervous system and how like we all have a nervous system and Mm. understanding how how um how we can work with and alongside the, the shifts and the changes in our nervous system, and how that gets so impacted through our life experiences, um, and how that is inextricably linked to the work that we do with all of our clients, not just those who have who who have named or who identify their own biological spe- experience as. Mm-hmm as trauma, that was kind of, I don't know what I was saying there, but you know, that was just a blah, 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 blah. I love it.
1: I love that. I love that. And I just have to add so quickly because I love that you said that I'm like the, um, in school right now, it's so interesting. What I'm studying is anxiety and worry, but the neurobiology aspect of it. And one of the things that I was just, uh, I had to do more research, but it was talking about how fear is not just a feeling and how your nervous system responds to fear and how chronic fear increases your risk of stroke, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. And it was just like I mean it was like a like you know just a light bulb because I'm like yes, that's it. And I think that's what I want other dietitians and practitioners to know is that yes, even if you are a CDE or you you're a specialist in cardiovascular health, you are working with people that have trauma, whether they put a name to it or not, they
0: have it. That's it. That's it. And especially with, um, you know, events. I mean, goodness me, we could go back in history for generations and generations, um, whether it's um, dislocation, whether it's um, disconnection, whether it's, um, you know, experiences of, um, Um, you know, our geographical enforcement of slavery, whether it's um, discrimination and stigma, you know, so so this is not just necessarily big life events. Um, It's also the, it's also the, um, the events that are daily for us, which impact, you know, um, which impact our nervous system. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I know that you're speaking with wind next month, yes, which would be great yes. on, on trauma informed care. So, um, I, I'll put the link, um, to that in the show notes and, um, okay. I'm sure people can hear a lot more about that too. That would be amazing. And, um, if people are looking for a, 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 a I suppose Tracy and mine is more, it's, um, six hours. How long's the wind one? uh I want to
1: say I'm minus an hour and then an hour hour 15 and then 15
0: to 20 minutes of like question and answer Q&A perfect okay so um so your choice one and a half hours and then (laughs) (laughs) and then Tracy and I have I think it's six hours I can't can remember um I, sh- I should know but my brain is like fried um and then Tracy does a much a much deeper dive in her um in her much much longer course so anyway <clears throat> shameless plug for all three yes. of us there Whitney yes <laughs> yeah, all three and everyone should do all three I highly encourage it yeah, yeah. absolutely well you know what I- I'm not sure about you but I have gone back and looped back into so many topics like um, motivational interviewing, like nervous system work, like, you know, um, the intersection of trauma-informed care and yoga, for example, given we're both, you know, yoga teachers. And I think looping back, looping back, looping back is never a waste of time. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And you know what's so funny? I know this is, like, totally
1: off topic, but you and Liz are the ones that got me interested in being – and doing the yoga teacher training because I I had no idea that dietitians like the the possibility of the intersection with trauma-informed care being a dietitian in yoga until I um until Liz was telling me Liz was telling me about her experience and had shared your a little bit of your experience and so I have to credit you and Liz for really helping me take that plunge because it's been it's been amazing
0: I love uh so much gratitude for the world of yoga Oh, it's really interesting, actually. I think that there's, there's so much to learn from that that world. I mean, as well as, as, well as acknowledging, oh, my God, it can be so steeped in diet culture and yes. um, racist attitude. Oh, my God, it's just yes. it's, it's very hideous, actually. Um, and also there is just so much beauty and warmth in that community as well, particularly in the personal practice. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's your favorite practice? Like in terms of the different styles of yoga, what do you like practicing? So
1: it's so interesting. You asked that. I actually love the, like a power vinyasa and uh, I love that. And it's, I, so I actually found yoga um, when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and Um, I was a college athlete and my partner was a college athlete. So we were very used to having just kind of performing at high intense levels. And then I had this experience and I couldn't. And so when I found yoga, it was kind of like the embracement and the attunement that I never knew I could connect it to my body because I had never really connected or grounded to my body like that. Um, but I, I enjoy a, a, a very nice vinyasa, um, but in vinyasa
0: practice so yeah so that feels like a, a kind of a stimulating strong practice which takes you back to your athlete days maybe yes
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes mm-hmm. yeah do you know um someone else who i'm sure you're very familiar with who loves a really strong vinyasa practice is diane Bondi. yes yes, yes. yes. she's like look at me go look yes. at me go i'm like i'm looking and i'm very yeah. impressed <laughs> yes she that. is a queen. That's for sure. Yeah. Cool. It, well, actually I could add, um, Diane has a book. She has amazing, um, uh, like video channels. She's just released a new program. Um, she, she is trauma-informed, inclusive. Pfft, I could go on. She yeah. is one of the great teachers. Love that. I love that so much. Awesome. All right. Um, Now, I'm hoping that we might be able to just tack on a little bit of a conversation around grief in Mm -hmm. anti-diet work. Now, this is something that if anybody wants to check out your Instagram feed, I do notice this is a topic that kind of pops up quite regularly on your um, your platform. So I feel like, you know, I'm observing that this is a topic that comes up really often and commonly in our healthcare rooms, in our dietetic spaces and mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, I'm hoping we might be able to kind of talk through it because I th- think that a lot of dietitians are not sure how to work with grief, what mm-hmm. it might sound like, what it might look like. Like what are we seeing? What are we noticing? How can we um how can we hold a space for people's um complex feelings and responses and reactions uh, without stepping into dietitian fixing mode. That's yes. my question.
1: <laughs> yes, I love that. You know, grief is so powerful. And I uh, and I think going to that trauma-informed lens is grief can be a diagnosis. So I worked in the HIV community you, you know, before I started my eating disorder work and became a nurse and the the attachment to that diagnosis for some, it was the anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so really empowering them of like, here we are. You can't change it. How, what does it look like in your body? Can we accept this body? And so and as a personal note, I, I had to really take that work as when I, I got diagnosed with two autoimmune diseases. And it wasn't until that second diagnosis that I tried that I really understood body grief and how you can... Um, there are times in our life that I think accepting our body is so overwhelming and you have to let go of what you thought it was going to be. And especially when you're talking about autoimmune diseases and some of them you have, you know, you, there's nothing that you necessarily can do. It's, it's not a fix it. Right. And I think as dietitians we get in this like fix it kind of mindset and it's hard it's, it's, it's hard. And so I think as we we think about grief, and there's so many different types of grief, is we really give the person the ability to sit with it without us trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what does it look like to invite the grief in? What does it look like not to engage in behaviors that might numb or suppress the grief? You know, how do we process the grief in our body?
0: I guess for a, for a dietitian or for a healthcare worker the question might be am I willing to sit with the grief of another person what's the work I need to be doing in order to be with the pretty intense experiences of someone else without having that reflexive response of wanting yeah to fix it or to take it away for them um as a function of meeting my own needs
1: absolutely absolutely Yeah, I love that. And I think it's a process. And I think it, you know, I am, I'm, I'm equally as passionate about doing the grief work as I am the trauma work, because I think they're so interconnected. Yeah, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: I think in our, in our modern day, more modern day healthcare too, that, you know, the, the honoring of our very complex human experiences is, is not prioritized, you know, it's, um, throw something at it, even if it, even if it sounds helpful, even if it sounds like therapy, even it sounds, sounds like quote unquote, an intervention or something, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. it's, um, that there's a part of me that feels like that we, it's the doing to rather than the being with which undermines that trust and that sense of that this is a process as opposed to there's something wrong with me
1: absolutely absolutely and you know with if we think about 2020 and now even 2021 everything like we are working through our own grief and we're also holding space for those that are grieving and we can't fix it i mean there is and all the different facets of grief that are out there, we cannot fix it right now. And so, like you said, it's the inviting and the sitting with and um, just walking through with somebody as they experience that grief, too, I think is so powerful.
0: Yeah. And as dietitians, you know, sometimes some of the the um, the biggest grief is maybe a changing body or maybe even a not changing body when that is the desire or that is the wish or like you say a a new diagnosis or or a diagnosis that's not new but that hasn't really necessarily been processed um you know really processed really letting it land and and be being in in the body um so it's yeah i just think there's there's so much work to do around that
1: absolutely absolutely and it's It's kind of like one of the the things that I keep is in my, in my mind is, is their acceptance through the grief. And so like you said, we're talking about the body image work and that's why I I, I have such a soft spot for people with autoimmune diseases and working and incorporating the anti-diet because I think that we, there's like this fix of like, if I just do enough, my body will be X, Y, and Z. And that's the thing about our bodies is that's not the case. Like, it's not this like structured linear thing. I mean, it's, as you know, it's so intricate, so intricate. And I think when we think about body grief and body changes and body image of how do those external factors influence the internal process? You know, if I'm, if I'm in a community that is driven and there's a lot of racial trauma that grief that I experience is going to be so hard to just celebrate my body when it 's feared you know in the community, so to speak um, so
0: yeah it 's almost like when where it, there is a lack of spaciousness for us to be able to experience say we're, you know we 're talking about grief for us to be able to experience our grief without it being interrupted by the culture in which we live in, whether that's in healthcare or whether that's the um, uh, the, the the racial culture that we're we're living in, or um, you know how well how well we're doing financially, or not not um, you know big changes in life, um, losses, um, you know events. There's just there's just been so much that our poor old nervous systems. Mm -hmm. I know. I know.
1: It's just, yeah. I think we're collective, isn't it? It is so collective. It's so collective. I really think that, and at least my hope is that we're going to see a a shift in the world of dietetics in five to 10 years. And it's going to be the evolution of how to study the nervous system and trauma informed care. I really, really do. And
0: how does that leave you feeling?
1: I am so excited because I will be honest, I think for a while it was a little stagnant, you know, as a dietitian, it's like, "Ah!" Um, but as we have, you know, as we just kind of expand and get familiar, I think with our own nervous system and our own scope and it's, it. I always tell interns, like being a dietitian, the sky is literally limitless. There are so many things that you can do. And I think as you understand the body and your body um, and just all the intricacies of it and being a trauma-informed practitioner, I mean, we're, we're going to change people's lives.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that. And food and eating is such a powerful vehicle for some really important, really deep conversations around um, relationality, around connection, grief. Like, you know, if you, if, if we're scrambling around, there's always a food or eating um, metaphor that we can use. (laughs) Always. Absolutely. Always. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Whitney, I just cannot express my gratitude enough, um, I, I, we spoke off off mic a little bit saying we can't believe that we haven't kind of connected up until now so this has been just the absolute highlight of I'm, I was going to say my highlight of my year but let's not overblow it <laughs> 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 like I like you just fine and I hope that I'll have some adventures this year as well <laughs> yes yes
1: absolutely I'm right there with you I am right there with you oh my goodness, but.
0: I'm really hoping this is a start of a, just a beautiful connection that we can keep in touch. And yes. I would love to point people in the direction of your brand new website. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm so
1: happy about it. I'm yes. so happy about it. Yes. So cool. Yeah. Whitneytrotter.com. Um, and so I'll have uh, access to my courses on there, um, links for supervision, some resources, all of that is, is on my website. So I'm, I'm really, really proud of it
0: that is so cool and we have already mentioned your instagram handle which is uh whitneytrotter.rd perfect um anything else that you want to mention sprook elevate anything happening coming out so yeah so the course is is uh done
1: and recorded and it's on there the human trafficking course i am doing a panel next week uh february 10th and that will also be available for repurchase later but that is um going to be discussing religious trauma eating disorders and uh inter- intersection of white supremacy with that so i'm excited Ooh, about that'll be interesting yeah, yeah. That panel. And then the, of course the wind, uh, wind webinar, which will be happening in March.
0: So Yeah. Fantastic. Oh my gosh, already in 2021, you have had, you've been a very busy person. <laughs> yes.
1: I I'm so thankful. I, I, um, I'm so thankful for all of the opportunities. It, it means so much because, um, I'm able to, um, have a really reduced sliding scale to offset that. So that's yeah, been, right. um,
0: one of the things I'm most proud about in my business or my private practice. So I love that. You know what? We could have turned that into a whole different conversation is, <laughs> you know, how you can bolster your practice so that you can offer sliding scale. Absolutely. 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 So important. Okay. You know what? We'll come back for chapter two. How does that sound?
1: Yes, I love that. Part Let's
0: two. let <laughs> Let's do it. I'm going to be I'm going to be booking you in. I love it. For I do sure. it. <laughs> Willa will have so much more to talk about. Nice. You know. Yes. Anyway, love that. Whitney, again, such a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for being here with me on the podcast. It's been so fantastic getting to know you, getting to know more about your work. And I really encourage everybody to go check out your work, sign up for your courses and learn more about how we can show up and grow. Thank you. I appreciate that so much, so much. Thank you, Whitney. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone!